Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again this morning? And we're going to start with verse 9. We're going to ease on into verse 10 in just a few moments. We're talking about to each his own. In part, and this is part 3 of that message. To each his own. I can't help this, but I have to be honest with you as I study, as I read chapter 12 and as I study from top to bottom, as I still go back and I go back and I go back and I go back, I get the feeling that in verse 7, the Apostle Paul, knowing the upside down distorted church that he's writing to, knowing the problems that they have, is saying to them, so you want manifestations. Is that what you want? I'll show you manifestations. The word manifestations in verse 7 to me has to be a key to chapter 12. He doesn't need the word if it isn't. All he had to said was the gifts, the ministries, the effects are given for the common good. But he doesn't say that. He he uses a specific word here. For the manifestations, he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now the word manifestation is the word phanerosis. Or phonerosis. It's the word that refers to something that is made visible. Something that is made that so that all can look at it and see it and recognize it. Now, I think what Paul is doing here, he's saying, yes, God does work in the lives of believers. As a matter of fact, that's what the whole Christian life is, is wrapped around. He does manifest himself in and through us. There are visible ways in which he shows himself in the lives of the people that have trusted him. He works in the ways of every different man that's a believer, but at the same time, the ways that he works are so different than what's going on at the church of Corinth. And he's trying to show them the difference. Again, I do not believe he's teaching a full teaching on spiritual gifts in chapters 12, 13, and 14. He's correcting a problem. He's dealing with what's going on at Corinth. And even by implication, you're beginning to see some of the problems that they're facing. First in verse 8, he starts off with the speaking gifts. And he says that God does choose to manifest himself through, through the believers in the body through speaking gifts. Those gifts are given so that the body might be edified and the body might be encouraged. He gives to some of these people who speak to the body words of wisdom so that the great truths of Scripture might be brought down to the bottom shelf and everybody might take them and apply them in their daily life. For he says in verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Wisdom is the ability to take truth and make it applicable to every circumstance of life. And God has to give that. And he's given speakers 
who can take those truths and bring them down to where people can understand how they can live them out. He also gives to some of these speakers and manifests himself through them the word of knowledge. And usually the two are joined together because even the word alos, another of the same kind. Use it as a mixture of both in anything that someone might say who speaks to the body. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, verse 8 says, and to another, alos, of the same kind, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. This is the ability to take those great truths, bring them down, and clarify them so that the whole body might understand them. So we see the edification and the, and the encouragement of the body through these speakers. And God does manifest himself. Paul says, you want manifestations? God manifests himself. But he manifests himself through people, one of the ways, who speak to the body. But when they speak to the body, it'll always be according to the word of God. It'll involve the wisdom that comes from that. It'll involve the knowledge that comes from that. I call this first group of gifts because he interchanges the word alos and heteros. Heteros means another of a different kind. Alos means another of the same kind. He interchanges it all the way down through here. And so the first category of these gifts to me is a category of the equipping gifts. That's, that's my own terminology. That doesn't mean anything to anybody, I guess, but me. But I just look at them as the equipping gifts. And God says, hey, I do manifest myself to the body. There's a lot of manifestations going on at Corinth right now, and there are a lot of people standing up and speaking, saying they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me just tell you how I do manifest myself through people who speak to my church, to my body. I do it through those equipping gifts. Now, the thing that has captured my attention in my study this time that I've never seen before is the little phrase, is given, found in verse 7. He says, but to each one is given. The verse 8, for to each one is given given, or to one, is given. What caught my attention about it is not the term is given, but the tense of it. It's in the present tense. Always I had taught this that God gave gifts at the specific time, and then as you live, surrender to the Spirit of God, then He'll work them out, and that certainly is true. But the idea is He's not just given them once, He continually gives them. Now that, that brings up a twofold meaning to us. First of all, it shows us that once receiving a gift of salvation when the Spirit comes to live in us, then God is the only one who can affect that gift. And there's nobody else. You can't call it up on your own. I've got to be surrendered to Him at all times. And if God, then God can energize that gift. I thought about that just the other day, speaking at a chapel at a college up in Ohio, Cedarville College. When I walked in, I saw all those people in a 3,500-seat auditorium, and I said, whoa, I was overwhelmed. And then it's like I said, wait a minute, God, if you've given me the gift, then as I step up here, I can trust the fact that you continually give that gift. If I'm willing to be a vessel, that you can use it. You see, it's never a person calling that gift up on his own. It's a person living attached to Christ so God can use that gift in and through him. But the other meaning of that has to be taken. You cannot miss it. And specifically in the verses we're looking at, verse 9 and 10, it's not only that God does give gifts at a certain time, and only when you're surrendered to Him can He utilize those gifts in your life, but also it means God also gives gifts at a later time when and if He chooses to do so. Now that's the part that doesn't fit the books that you read about spiritual gifts. That's the part that turns you upside down. See, our problem in 1 Corinthians 12 is that we have read so many books on spiritual gifts, heard so many messages on spiritual gifts, it's difficult to even treat the text. We're trying to fit the text into what we've read rather than to fit what we've read into the text. What we've got to understand is that God continues to give gifts, and sometimes He just chooses to do something right there and to do something right there. And it's nothing to do with when the person got saved in the sense that He got that gift at salvation. Like other gifts, 
but it has more to do with just the purposes of God. God is God. He does whatever God chooses to do. Well, first on this list, of this list of verse 9, beginning in verse 9, you have to be able to see this. He starts with the gift of faith. And he says in verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, this faith is without the definite article. And, and, and it's, it, it, it's very significant that it is without the definite article. Without the definite article, it doesn't refer to doctrine or something like that. It refers to the supernatural ability God gives to eat this one and to that one to face the, the overwhelming difficult circumstances of life. All of us face difficulties in life. All of us go through unbearable circumstances. It is God's gift to us to be able to believe Him when we're overwhelmed in a crisis. It may be resisting the enemy. It may be facing life's threatening circumstances. You're up against a wall. You didn't plan this. You come before God. Now listen, faith is something all believers have, but this is not ordinary faith. This is a supernatural infusion of, of, of faith in order to get you through the crisis that you're going through. And God gives that kind of thing. And it's not something you got when you got saved. Certainly you got the one who energizes it and gives it, but it's just something that comes at that moment. It's a moment when you desperately need it. Now, there's a list in verse 9 and 10. All of these connected by the word alos, which means another of the same kind. He says faith. Then he says gifts of healings, effecting of miracles, and, and each one of them connected by the word another, another of the same kind. Faith, another of the same kind, gifts of healings, another of the same kind, gifts of miracles, another of the same kind, prophecy, another of the same kind, distinguishing of spirits. Now this is significant. Guess what starts the list? If you've ever studied Scripture a lot, then you've realized that when Paul or Peter make a list, almost every single time, the first, one that, first thing they say carries weight all the way through everything else that they say. You say, I don't believe that, Brother Wayne. Give me an example. Galatians 5.22, for the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. But look what that love does. It affects the, the, the joy, the patience, and everything else that follows in that list. First Peter, he says, put aside all malice. What's malice? It's, it's hypocrisy and envy and all the guile and all those things that are mentioned right after it. Those lists are important. And faith, to me, determines so much of the rest of the list. This supernatural ability to believe God in an instant when God just chooses to do something at that moment that you can't explain to anybody. And you can't hang a shingle up and say, this is my gift. Would you like to come and let me exercise it on you? No, it's God just choosing to, to do it when he chooses to do it. Well, naturally then, we can understand why the gifts, plural, of healings, plural, follow the little word faith. What's one of the most, un, most unbearable circumstances in life that you have to go through? It has to do with illness. I guarantee you, you mention cancer to any of us, and all of us get a little chill that goes up our back. Because immediately we're forced with having to get very serious about something that is life-threatening. And that faith, that supernatural gift of faith is something that's going to be necessary. Oh, certainly you have faith. You've had faith all along, but you've never had to face anything like this. And God just chooses in an instant as you come before him to infuse that faith and to believe him in the area of the gifts of healings. Now, as we saw last week, there are a variety and a multitude of healings. There's no gift of healing. I wish people could understand that. Had somebody asked me this week, where did you get the fact that there are gifts plural and healings is plural? I, 
I got it out of the Bible. If you look real close, <laughs> it's in there. It's amazing how the Bible just explains itself. And if it doesn't in your context, then you look in your languages and there it is. It's in the plural. Both words are in the plural. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. There's no guesswork that's being done here. But you see, what we have to do to understand the gifts, plural, of healings, plural, is to realize that all healing is of God. To single out an extraordinary healing and to make it look like that that's the only thing he's talking about right here is to misunderstand the whole text. Extraordinary healing is included. But it's not excluding all the other ways God heals. God is the only one who heals. Medicine doesn't heal. Doctors don't heal. You ask them. They don't heal. Matter of fact, my father-in-law used to tell me, he said, Wayne, I know why they call them practitioners. And I said, why? He said, they practice on you. <laughs> I don't know, don't know about that. I've got some doctors here. I better be careful. But at the same time, there's no doctor in here that can heal you. However, he can recommend things to you and then pray that God would use that to bring healing to your body. Extraordinary healing is definitely included, but it does not exclude this other kind of healing. If our flesh wants to put these gifts into the category of the mysterious and overlook the fact that God heals us and heals us in a variety of ways, then we realize then we're getting off track from what Paul is trying to teach us. We've already seen in our text that you cannot call any, any gift up, especially these, but any gift up on your own, on a whim. It's amazing to me that how people put in the newspaper and on the television, we're going to have a healing meeting in Chattanooga or Birmingham or wherever it is, and we're going to have it in 10 months. And on that night, you get all your sick friends and you bring them there and we're going to call down the gift of healing. That's not in the text. How do they know that that night they're going to be living in such a way that God chooses to do the extraordinary thing that he rarely chooses to do to bring healing to some individual's life? But they do it and they even assign a time to it and give a date to it while at the same time across town there's a person who's been to the doctor, done what the doctor told him to do, took his medicine, trusted God in the process and God is healing him but nobody ever recognizes him. They only recognize what went on in that auditorium across town. That's how upside down we are. We don't live in the miraculous power of God to heal anyway. We don't even understand it. All healings of God, all healing is of God. Not just extraordinary. All healings referred to in the word, word healings in 1 Corinthians 12, 9 are miraculous. And most of them, as you're going to see this morning, are in the natural realm, not in the extraordinary, in the, in the supernatural realm. You're going to see that. We've seen that in our own church. But I guarantee you what, there have been more people in this church healed through the natural, ordinary ways of just simply taking medicine, take, getting some rest, going to a doctor, whatever, than you'll ever see in your whole entire life that are healed in an extraordinary way. But it's all God, and it's all miraculous. It's God who is the healer. Now, last week, in order to understand the plurality of healings, we had to look at the plurality of diseases and the various kinds of diseases. And if you don't do that, how can you understand healing if you don't understand what it's being used for? And I'm not going to go back and re-preach it, but as we walk through, we found that, that, that diseases range from everything that's physical even to those things that are emotional. Even to a minister in a church, and the word is used specifically, who is causing all kinds of dissensions by his arguments and, and confusing that he's bringing in the church. He's got a sick mind. <laughs> it's got a broad range to it. And only God can heal any of them. We can never draw a line between the natural and the supernatural. We can't draw a line between the ordinary and the extraordinary when it comes to the gifts of healings. It's all of God and it's all miraculous and we need to thank Him for that miraculous healing. 
You say, well, Brother Wayne, I just took an aspirin, but I already feel better. Thank God for making you feel better. You think the aspirin made you feel better. God's the one who's in charge of your life. You ever taken an aspirin and felt worse? I have. So it's not the aspirin. It's God who works alongside of that which is given by the doctor for whatever else is going on. You see, people... People that cannot see, the, the natural world, the lost world has an excuse for this. They don't see God in anything. So they certainly are not looking for the natural, in the natural realm of God actually working alongside a doctor and working with the medicines that that doctor prescribes. They can't see God in that process. But it's a shame for believers to fall into the trap and think that healing is only in a meeting when something drastically happened and somebody's healed. God is constantly healing, and, and, and healing is always a miracle, no matter how supernatural. And I'll tell you the thing that throws us. The thing that gets us into this supernatural thinking of healing is that in Scripture, most of the healings that are recorded are recorded because they are extraordinary. Now, you may cite the case of the 12 apostles. You may cite the, the cases of Paul, the different ones, the 70 evangelists that were sent out in, in, in Mark and other gospels, the prophets, and even one or two isolated believers. You see, we do not have a consistent pattern for anyone else for this kind of extraordinary healing. Why, was it, why, would, why would the Bible single out these extraordinary healings? Because it gave authenticity, <laughs> hello words, it gave authenticity to the people in their office and the assignments that God had given them. That's what they were for. They weren't for us to take in the 20th century and say that we have this on a consistent daily basis. Absolutely not. But it was always a pattern in their life and it always pointed to the fact that God had given them the gospel and they had an assignment and this gave them authenticity. <laughs> I've done that twice. <laughs> it gave them a lot of genuineness to the people. <laughs> Whatever the other word is. Most of the healing you and I will ever experience will not be in the supernatural realm. Please understand that. So the next time you get sick, don't run to find a faith healer. <laughs> there is none, except one, and his name is Christ. Ask him, who, who should I call? Call you a doctor. Find you a Christian doctor. That doctor, if he's a Christian, already knows he can't do any, anything but apply the wisdom that years and years of schooling has given him, and then apply, prescribe the medicines that, that, that his experience has helped him with, and then to trust God that God would supersede and bring forth the healing in your life. Now, I'll tell you what, if God just chooses to heal you just like that, bow down before him and just say, wow, I've experienced something that maybe I'll never see it again in my lifetime, but thank you, God, for just continuing to do what only you can do. Miss Bertha Smith, who died at 100 years old, she said she's going to live to be 100, and she did. She went to the 100th year anniversary, I think, of the WMU, the Southern Baptist Convention. She said, I'm going to be there if all you old people can get there with me. You know, she was a, she was a dude. Well, if you never met Miss Bertha Smith, you hadn't, you hadn't run across anybody yet. Miss Bertha Smith was a part of the Shantung Revival. Shantung Revival started when a man on their team had something happen to his eyes and he was, started going blind. He was the key man. He was the guy who did the preaching. He was the guy who, who they needed. They had nurses and doctors, but they couldn't do anything for him. And they finally came to the end of themselves and one day they decided to pray for his healing and they put their hands on him to begin to pray and God convicted every one of them of sin that was in their life. 
And she said it was about three months before they could even come back and pray. She said, God so broke me. I, I realized things I had borrowed from people, hadn't given it back, but I'd promised them to do it. Money that I owed, sins against people that I'd never made right. And she said, for three months, we just dealt with sin that had been so backlogged in our life to where we could get into a place to where perhaps God even could use us as a vessel and a means in this situation. And finally, one day, she said they came together and prayed again. And she said, when we, we put our hands on this man's head, we began to pray. She said the most awesome thing took place. She said it was like the power of God was so around us. And this man's eyes were healed and continued on to the day he died as a missionary in that area. They needed him in that area. But you ask Miss Bertha Smith how many other healings she's ever seen. If you could talk to her, she's in heaven. You'd have to give her a long-distance call. Miss Bertha, how many others did you see like that? I guarantee you she could put them on one hand. But what we like to do is put this thing in the mysterious, put this thing in the extraordinary, and I'll tell you what it does. It's suckering people all over this country to come to see it happen. It's like a sideshow, like a circus. Well, they don't even realize God is healing every day of our life. And the reason it's put in the plural is there's so many different ways in which God heals. It would just stagger us. Extraordinary healings, yes, they are included. But they're the minor part of what is included in this. You say, Wayne, how do you know that? Well, look in verse 10. Is healing a miracle? Well, I would think so. Well, then look at this. And to another of the same kind, the effecting of miracles. That's interesting. Why would he put healings in one category and miracles in another category? Does that tell you something right off? That's, that just caught me. It's amazing how he separates them. He separates them. Now, let's look at several things here this morning. We won't finish with this message, so don't leave and say you've heard the last word. I'm going to bring you right up to what you want me to say, <laughs> and then I'll have to come back next time to hear it because I won't have enough time to do it all. But first of all, the distinguishing of healings from effecting of miracles. Now, what in the world is going on? Without a doubt, there's two categories here. The gifts, plural, of healings, plural, in verse 9, and then in verse 10, the effecting, plural, of, of miracles, plural. Is brought in. He says, to another faith by the same Spirit, verse 9, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, verse 10, and to another of the same kind, the effecting of miracles. Now, why are healings distinguished from miracles and listed in a distinct, as a distinct operation of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm going to throw something at you, but it's going to take me a couple of weeks to, to, to show you. Miracles were a sign for those who were unbelievers. Take tongues, for instance. And we hadn't got there yet, and you're wondering what in the world I'm going to say about it, and you're weathering through all this, these other verses just so I can get there. The word tongues, obviously, anything that's spoken under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God is spoken in a language that is understandable. We've cleared that up already back in verse 3 of, of chapter 12. It's spoken in a very understandable language, and in a language that communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. This was a sign, not to them who believe, but to them who, un, who do not believe. Look in first chapter 14, verse 22. What tongues are assigned for? What were they? These were the miracles of a person speaking outside of his own language, but being understandable to another person in that language of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it in chapter 14 and verse 22. It's not a sign for believers. It's a sign for unbelievers. It says in verse 22, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. This miracle of speech that God used in order to convict the unbeliever, whether it be Israel because it was prophesied in the Old Testament or anyone else, when those tongues were given and it was a language another could understand, it was outside one's own language, it was a miracle of speech. 
But it was not a sign to believers. It was a sign to unbelievers. Whereas miracles was a sign for the unbeliever, healing was a sign for believers. Now, let's look at that. Healing is a sign for believers. Healing was a peculiar and particular sign indicating the coming of God's kingdom. Look over Luke chapter 10 and verse 9. Luke chapter 10 and verse 9. Healings had everything to do. They were pointing to something else. And they were simply a sign to those who were believers. Luke chapter 10 and verse 9. Very, very important we get these verses down. There's something that accompanies healing here. He says, And heal the sick that are, there, that are therein, the city you enter, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now, do you remember when John the Baptist was in prison? Remember John the Baptist was one who came out of the desert, and we're talking about a man's man, and, and a man who lived only as his own man, <laughs> came out of the desert, and he ate those, those uh, uh, funny kinds of foods, and, and he had dressed in a funny different way. Remember, John the Baptist, because he denounced the, the emperor at that time, was put into prison. And John the Baptist sends some of his friends to check out to see if Jesus is truly the Messiah. He's thinking to himself, man, I'm in prison. I'm about to be beheaded. And I want to know if you are truly the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Look over in Matthew chapter 11 and verse, uh, beginning in verse 2. Matthew chapter 11 and beginning in verse 2. He wants to know, is this the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this the Messiah? I want to show you something that sometimes we read and miss. It says in verse 2 of Matthew 11, Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And alongside of that, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The preaching of the gospel was made very clear because of these other things. Now, John probably wondered, if you are really the Christ, if you're really the Messiah, and you know that I'm in prison, why have you not come and set me free? I mean, I'm, un, I'm not understanding this. Remember, they thought that when the Messiah came, he would kick the Gentiles out and set up his earthly kingdom. They, they didn't realize he's going to the cross. And he says, if you're the Messiah, would you come and do that miracle in my life? But Jesus, knowing how to answer him, he sends a message back to him. And Jesus said, go and report to John what you see and what you hear. And what is it that he wants reported to John? Not all the miracles. He could, have, he could have given a list a mile long. But he wants the healings to be reported to John because the healings have to do with the coming of the Messiah, that the kingdom is coming. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The evidence that he was the Messiah was in the healings that he was doing. It pointed directly to who he was. The Lord was thus bringing in the kingdom of God. Those healings were a witness to a believer who's in prison, and he wanted him to be comforted. And that believer, of course, being John the Baptist. Look over Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. Right after he does his first miracle, he continues his ministry, but notice how he continues his ministry. It's in a specific area. And if 1 Corinthians 12 can divorce gifts of healings, or not divorce them, but, but separate them, gifts of healings from effecting of miracles, then we've got two categories that we're dealing with. The healings are the key. The healings are the ones that pointed to him being the Messiah. Verse 23, Matthew 4, And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. 
And the news about him went out into all Syria. And they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs and epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. You see, he, he had the, the miracle at the wedding feast. Then he continues his ministry, but he continues it basically doing those healings. Those healings was a sign to his disciples, a sign to his church, a sign for believers. Now, how is it a sign? Well, it shows his ability to forgive sin. Now, listen to me. Which is the root cause of all sickness. If he can heal the sickness, then he can heal the root of it, which is sin. That was his whole picture. That was what he was trying to show them. Sin is the well from which all sickness comes from, original sin. It's the spring of all diseases and sicknesses. The Lord wanted to prove by remedying diseases of any kind that he had the power to forgive sin. You say, Wayne, I can't buy that. All right, over in Matthew, he says, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, take your pallet and walk. Why did he heal him? So that the world would know he had power to forgive sin. What is sin? Sin is the root of all sickness. So if he can heal the sickness, he can heal the root. The healing was a sign for believers. Jesus has come. The kingdom is here. The Messiah here is here amongst us. Healings are also mentioned as a separate sign because they reflect the very comforting heart of God. Now you can have a miracle and it gets everybody's attention. You can walk on water. You can have a miracle and do something else. But when somebody is healed, there's an innate goodness about that. There's something about the caring heart of God that when he heals somebody, now that doesn't mean he doesn't care for them when he chooses not to. I'm talking about the healing itself. When somebody is healed, there's something about the character of God there. When a person dies, he's ultimately healed anyway. So there's something in that healing. It's different from the other miracles that he does. I wouldn't say that healing is not a miracle, but what I'm saying is there's a two different classes here. There's the heal, healing of sicknesses, but then there's the affecting of miracles. Healing is experienced by individuals. It is felt far more personally than the effects of any miracle. Very deeply, very personally. Miracles may have their effects, but healing has a specific, particular, comforting effect. It's something that God does and something of the heart of God is expressed to man when he experiences that healing that God gives to him. Healing more than any other miracles is that which brings great deep gratitude and awe and wonder of God's people. You say, no, 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 it's the miracles. <laughs> no, it's not. Have you ever been through an illness <laughs> and it's been pretty bad? You know, we've seen in our church, Michelle Rasnick, we've seen Greg Hudgens have to suffer through some things. We've seen many of our people, but just the most knowing of, of, of people, most known of people. But do you realize when a person comes through all of that, have that suffering and that pain, and God begins to bring that healing, do you realize what a sense of gratitude is brought into that person's heart? Oh, you can do a miracle in that person's life. You think that's going to bring gratitude to them? Nah, it's just going to make them look for something better the next time it happens. But you let somebody be healed, buddy, for the believer. It's just something that God does that brings out the, the gratitude in that person. I've never met any more grateful people than those who have been through the valley of suffering, of sickness, and God has brought them through it. And on the other side of it, they walk in such a humble way before God. They're so grateful for what God has done in the midst of that. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 8, when Peter and John were walking along and they saw that guy sitting there, on that particular day, God chose to give them the gift and, and to, to show them the effects of that. And he says, hey, do this. 
and paying and with a leap. Peter said, I don't have anything. This world's good, but what I have, I give to you. Rise and walk. It says, and with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And this old boy had been crippled for years and years and years. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You go over to John chapter 9, and the man was blind from birth. And the disciples thought it was something his parents did wrong. He says, no, no, just that the will of God might be manifest. And God walked up to him one day, and when he healed that man, that man couldn't shut up. That man went to everybody he could possibly find. Later on became one of the bold witnesses for Christ. Why? Because of the gratitude that healing brought in his life. Well, you can hang into miracles of all kinds. And I'm serious, you start competing one against the other. But when you come to healing, there's nothing that breaks a man's heart and humbles him and brings gratitude that when he's been through the valley of suffering, of sickness, physical illness, weariness, whatever's happened, and God's delivered him through that time. It's a sign to the believer. Even though, yes, unbelievers can see it, and, and many of them can believe, but the specific way it's, it's geared is it's a sign to the believer. Well, if miracles is a sign to the unbeliever, and healing's a sign to the believer, then what is this term, effecting of miracles? Well, so the second thing we want to see here, we've seen a distinguishing between gifts of healings and effecting of miracles. They're in two different classes, two different things we're talking about. Having a miracle is one thing, but being healed is another thing, and you need to put them in two different categories, just like the Word of God does. But secondly, the definition of the term, effecting of miracles. Now, I pointed out a while ago, the word effecting and the word miracles are both in the plural. I think the King James says operations of miracles or whatever. The Greek word for affecting is not really properly translated. You say, why is that? If it would be affecting, as if it were the cause of something, it would be the word energia. And that's the word that means it causes something to happen. And it's the only, that's the way I've heard it preached. That's the way I've heard it taught. Energy operates machines. Energy moves things and moves people. It's the cause behind something. But the word used here is not that word. It's a form of it, but it's in a different form. It's the word Energmata. And the word ma on the end of it, that little mata, the ma on the end of it shows you what it means. It's not the actual cause he's talking about here, it's the effect. It's not the causing miracles to happen, it's the effect of miracles that have happened and are happening. In other words, he's giving us the ability to witness that which God and God alone, who is the cause, has affected in our life. That's the word, the word ma. It can be illustrated between a lawnmower and the grass that is cut. Now, I told you I gave Diana that lawnmower with headlights on the front of it so she could cut after dark. Finally, we've moved now to where, where we don't have to fool with that anymore. But it was wonderful to drive home and to realize something had caused an effect on my yard because when I drove up, that yard was just beautiful. Now, I didn't see the lawnmower in sight. I didn't see the cause. I saw the effect. That's the word it's used here. It's the end result. It's not the actual causing of this miracle. It's the effect of this miracle. Matter of fact, there are three words that are used in 1 Corinthians 12, each one of them pointing to the effect of something, not the cause of something. The word for gifts, charismata. Not, not the giving of the grace, not the actual grace in the sense of its doing, but in the result of the grace, which is the gift. Then the word here that we see, not, not, the, miracle itself, not the doing of the miracle, but the effect, the miracle itself, the effect. And then the word hiamata, which is the word for healing. Not the actual process of healing, but the effects, the end result of it. That those three words are used all the way down through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One is the means or the cause. The other is the result or the effect. Now, this is very interesting to the text. The term miracles, which is the second word used, affecting of or the effects of. And then the word miracles is the word dunamis, which has to do with power. 
We get the word dynamite from it. Dunamis is that which uh, gives the, is, is the ability something has or someone has to accomplish something. So we're seeing the effects of, these, of powers. In other words, that God chooses to use in our life. We're not doing them ourselves. There's nobody who has the gift of miracles. God's the only one who can work miracles. But what we do, we get to benefit in witnessing the effects of those miracles, seeing the miracle themselves. So the term effecting of miracles is actually the results of abilities or powers that we, the miracle themselves. It's not the doing of it. It's the result of it. Now, See, the doing of it is entirely with God and not with us. If it was ever with us, immediately then we would become arrogant and possibly that was going on in Corinth. People claiming to have powers. You don't have any power. If you're connected to God, He has the power. You might be the evidence of what He's done, but you didn't do it. He did it. And it always goes back to Him. It never goes back to us. We cannot know the ways in which God accomplishes what He does. God never tells us. That's the secrets of His own heart. We can just know the effects of what God has done. We can witness through Scripture. We can go in the Old Testament. We can see how God parted the Red Sea and know that they walked across. We can know in Scripture that they walked across the Jordan River, backed up 17 miles. They walked across on dry ground. We can see where Lazarus was raised from the dead. We can see where Jesus raised himself from the dead. We can go through all of Scripture and we can see the effects, but we can never in a million years comprehend the power. No man can claim that power. No man has any idea how that power works. It's God effecting the miracles. So the first thing you've got to do is get off this kick of thinking somebody's walking around and he's got miracle working power. No, it's one of two spirits. It's either the devil or it's God. And if it's God working those miracles, then it has a specific way in which you can identify them in the lives of others. He gives the pattern how you know it's God and when you know it's not him. In our finite state, we'll never comprehend how God does what he does. What we have in verse 10, again, is not the ability to do miracles, but the fact that God shows us the effects of His power working in us and sometimes in others or in some circumstances around us. Now, He chooses to do these miracles as to bring awe and wonder back to Him. That's just why it's more of a sign to the unbeliever. It can be a sign to the believer, but it's more geared to the unbeliever. When the world, when the world sees this kind of thing, it is something that draws their attention to the one who did that. And they know it's not the person standing there. So it's, it's more of a sign to the unbeliever. The, the effecting of miracles refers to the results of God's working not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. So the distinguishing between healings and miracles. But then secondly, the definition of effecting of miracles. It's not me doing anything. It's me witnessing that which God does. And it may be in my life. It may be in somebody else's life. But it's only what God does. It's never what man does. Well, third thing I want you to look at, and we don't have that much time, but I want you to look at this anyway before we leave, is the diversity of miracles. Let's try to understand why miracles or powers is in the plural and not in the singular. Why is it not the gift of doing a miracle? But it's to give the effecting of miracles, the results of the powers of what God does. First of all, we must begin. You have to begin. If you don't begin here, some of you are going to get mad at me and say, Wayne, hurry up and get to the extraordinary part that you want to talk about. That's next week. I can't get you there or you'll end up just like the Corinthian church. That's what was wrong with them. 
They were interested in those things which were emotional and sensual and ecstatic. They weren't interested in the things that were ordinary and took place every day of their life. They weren't attached to Christ. They had no interest in the fact that everything in life is a miracle if you'll stop to look at it. Have you ever seen an old person that's gotten up in age sitting on the back porch just looking at their hands? And I remember I used to ask my grandmother, what are, what are you doing? She said, isn't it amazing how God made us? And I'm thinking, how many people stop long enough to realize that we live in the midst of a work, miracle working God? that we are seeing the effect of his powers everywhere in our life, around us, in circumstances, in our world. How in the world our country is surviving right now is only because it's all held in the hands of God. He has the power. It's all around us. We need to thank him and praise him daily because we live in the miracle working power of God. You know, a good place to start with this before we get to the extraordinary, which everybody wants to talk about, and we will talk about it. Before we get there, it might be good for us to talk about the laws that God has created for us that which we abide every day of our life. Do you realize the laws that God has set into motion are as miraculous as anything you've ever been around? Everything on earth is changeable except the laws that God has created. You say, what do you mean? The laws of gravity, for instance. <laughs> now, some of you are in the balcony. If you, you, if you think that law of gravity is not consistent and you can break it, just jump off, help yourself. Just don't hit anybody down here. Just hit in the floor. We'll carry you out and get somebody to help you out. That's the law of gravity. My sister, when I was growing up, she was always kind of a klutz, and she'd get up in the morning, and uh, she didn't like to see anybody. Don't talk to me in the morning. I'm always looking for somebody to talk to. Nobody wants to talk to me. <clears throat> my dad was the same way. My mother, more like I am. And she's walking in the dining room. We had a little bitty dining room there, kind of like a very small kitchen, very small dining room. When she walked in one morning, she had a big old bowl of cereal. I don't know what she did. I don't know where she was half asleep or what, but she just let that thing slip, and that whole bowl of cereal turned upside down, and I mean it went all over the floor. And I, I could see my dad steam coming out of his ears because of the mess. My mother irritated because it's early in the morning. And I looked over and I said, well, Melanie, good, 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 good. You just taught us all a lesson. The law of gravity does work, doesn't it? You turn the bowl upside down, it's going to fall, doesn't it? That's a, that's a law that you can always count on. Thank you, Melanie, because I have not known that. And from now on, I'll remember that whatever the law of gravity says it's going to do. That didn't go over real well. <laughs> law of gravity is going to work. Law of gravity is going to work. You know, some people say, well, I've got faith. I'm going to step outside this plane. God's going to catch me. Are you kidding me? I'm going to let you splatter all over the ground somewhere. Because that's not faith. That's presumption. God's laws work. And he's consistent as the, as the night is. It's night and the day is day. But then another law, <laughs> the laws of human digestion. Any doctor in here would understand what I'm talking about. There's certain laws. I mean, there's certain things you don't do or it's going to mess you up. And there's certain laws that God has, has, has given to the physical body. The Boy Scout picnic one time, I think I've told you this, I ate 21 hot dogs, half a gallon of ice cream and a watermelon. Now, I don't know which one of it did it. All I know is I tasted the hot dogs for about 10 years. I couldn't eat a hot dog in about 10 years. I don't know which one made me sick, but I found out something. You don't mix 21 hot dogs with a watermelon and a half a gallon of ice cream. You need to find out what these, these laws are, these digestive laws are, because if you mess them up, you're going to suffer from it. <laughs> are you listening, Wayne? Yeah, I heard that. There's the law that he says that this body does not work unless it takes in oxygen. You don't believe that? Then you get someplace where the gas, gas has, has, has taken, eaten up all the oxygen and you try to breathe. You're a dead man because that law is going to work and you can depend on that. You think that's bad? No, that's good because that begins to serve us. When we know that laws are there and they're steady and consistent and they never change, then you can build your life. They don't, they don't, they don't rule your life. They serve your life. And that's a miracle. That is a miracle. When they sent a man to the moon, everything is so precise. They took into account in scripture when God stopped the, the sun for, for 
48 hours or whatever it was, and they figured it into the equation. And that's the way they pinpointed the man's landing on the moon. God has set that. That's a miracle. Man, every day you wake up, take a breath, and your body begins to function because you're breathing, and you eat the right foods, and your digestive system is working. And when you, when you begin to understand this, praise God. You're living in the miracle. You're living in the effects of what God set into motion, and no man can change. But shoot, do you think anybody's interested in that? Ho-hum, what time is it? I think it's time to leave. That's not a big deal. That's exactly what's wrong with Christianity in the 20th century. We're not aware of God. No, sir. That's why God, I think, sometimes allows these bad circumstances, allows sickness and such, to get us into a point we become aware of Him again. Why can't we just live aware of Him every day? Just aware of the effects of His powers that are working all around us. You see, when Jesus was on this earth, he's the one who set all these laws into motion. But when he was on this earth before his crucifixion, he chose to walk in light of the laws that he himself set into motion. That's a miracle to me. He chose to be weary. He chose the whole thing. But after he was resurrected, a little different. He decided, you see, the God who sets the laws into motion is the God who can change it if he wants to. And that's where the extraordinary comes in. That's when he breaks the law. That's when all of a sudden he suspends himself in the air. That's all of a sudden he can do anything he wants to do. And that's what draws most people's attention. After Jesus was resurrected, he'd walk through a door. He'd just appear somewhere. It didn't even look like he had to walk there. I mean, all of a sudden he was breaking all of these laws that he himself had said. That's the extraordinary. When he goes the extra step, that's when you get into a dimension that just boggles everybody's mind. But I guarantee you, most of us would rather hear about him walking through the door than they would him walking on earth as a man, the God-man born of a virgin, the absolute miracle of time. You see, that's where people are. That's where Corinth was. I think that's why Paul puts it in the plural. It's not just one power or miracle, and it's the effect. It's not the working of it itself. It's the effecting of miracles. It's the results of God's power. And we get to witness it day by day. Now next week we're going to talk about some of these supernatural things that God allowed the apostles to, and others to witness. But folks, I can't tell you enough. Let me, let me just say it this way and I'm going to get out of here. You walk through Corinthians, and unless I've missed something, you tell me if I've missed something. I'm not the authority, never have told anybody I'm the authority. But I want to tell you, first of all, works in chapter 3 are never to be a man's focus, even though he's going to be judged for them one day. Gifts are never to be a man's focus, even though that's what God gives. And, and ministries are never to be a, a man's focus, even though that's what God does through him. And, and effects are never to be a, a man's focus, ever, ever, ever. Miracles are not to be a man's focus. Jesus is to be a person's focus. And if you can't see that in 1 Corinthians, this is why I've always said I do not believe he's teaching a complete series on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. He's dealing with an upside down church, a distorted mindset of people who are more akin to the sensual than they are the spiritual and the real and they're not living in the reality of Christ moment by moment. You want to live in a miracle? It might be a good time this morning to come down here and get on, this, get on your knees before God and say, God, I am so sick. I'm never aware of you unless something have, happens that I'm forced to be aware of you. God, teach me to live in the awareness of who you are moment by moment. I guarantee you one thing, the miracles that you're going to talk about next week, they'll pale to non-existence because you see they only happen here or here or here. But the miracle you can live in is every moment of every day in the fullness of who he is, not 
in who you are. And that overwhelms us. It should overwhelm us. It's where the church is. That's why people are so upside down and people dividing churches over this stuff. It makes you nauseated, but yet at the same time, but by the grace of God, we're there the next breath if we don't practice the presence of Christ living attached to Him. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 